G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Our special guest today is an avid genealogy fan who has traced his ancestry back to Adam and Eve. He's also an authority on the dispersion of people groups around the world after the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. Well, Bodie Hodge is a speaker, a writer and researcher for Answers in Genesis. His expertise is as a mechanical engineer, has a master's degree. He's authored numerous articles and book chapters from Answers in Genesis and has served as general editor on the World Religions and Cults and Glasshouse Books. Bodie also regularly appears as a host on Answers News and frequently speaks at the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter on topics such as dinosaurs and dragons and the dispersion at Babel and the biblical response to racism. So from Answers in Genesis, a special welcome along to Bodie Hodge. Bodie, welcome along to 2020. Hey, it's great to be on. Bodie, just a little about your connections here for a few moments before we get into the conversation. Uh, you're connected there with Answers in Genesis, and uh, I mentioned your roles there in presenting some of those programs, but how long is it now you've had this connection? Oh boy, I've been uh, here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis for about 20 years, and uh, it's been exciting. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I used to work in industry. I used to teach at a university. I used to teach at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. So I really enjoyed all that, but uh, it's been wonderful going into ministry. I love uh, uh, getting into God's Word and being able to train people and uh, just dive into those extra subjects like the Tower of Bible or Dinosaurs and Dragons. It really is a neat uh, and fun subject. And your own story, very briefly, on becoming a creationist because, uh, you know, Oftentimes, people say, people who are earning higher degrees or working in science industries, sometimes they've got difficulties with a creationist position, but how's your development along those lines gone? Well, you know, I grew up in church, and, uh, you know, I got saved when I was nine years old, but I really didn't grow extensively in my faith. Uh, you know, I heard gospel sermons all the time, and I loved it. Uh, but, you know, I really struggled, especially by the time I got to college. You know, I remember someone asked me a question. He said, hey, who came first? Was it David or Abraham? And I remember my response was, boy, I don't know. I could tell you all about David. I could tell you all about Abraham. But I didn't put it together apologetically. I didn't put it together historically. And that was just kind of a taste of where I was when I was in college. What I really needed was answers. And I ended up getting some answers. Uh, it was a couple of years after that. But boy, when I started to get some answers, I got excited about my faith. I said, you know what? I want more answers. And I really started diving into this. Uh, you know, So I really solidified uh, my, uh, my belief in six-day creation, a global flood, God creating everything. Uh, I, I really solidified that belief system, you know, there toward the end of my college years. And I think, uh, you know, the Lord just opened doors for me to really uh, grow in that. Have you discovered over the years, and you say you've got this 20-year history with Answers in Genesis, and you've spoken to an awful lot of groups in that time, that people have difficulty 
appreciating the genealogies that we can read in the scriptures uh, that take us right back to Adam and Eve. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on how people feel and what people think and the sorts of feedback you might be getting along those lines? <laughs> well, if you're anything like I am or, or, or a lot of the, the people out there uh, uh, you know, uh, tuning in, uh, you're probably one of those people who go, oh boy, let's read the Bible. And you get to that section and you see all those genealogies and those names, you go, oh Lord, please don't let that be me that has to read those out loud in front of everyone. Uh, you know, I used to be kind of like that too. Um, it, but you know what? Those genealogies are actually amazing. You know, just take, for example, the ones in Genesis chapter 5. Those are all of our direct ancestors right there, from Adam to Noah. And then you go after the Tower of Babel, you get into uh, Genesis uh, chapter 10, uh, Genesis chapter 11 picks back up with some more. But you look at those, our direct ancestors are up there, and those are we're related to all those people. And what really blew my mind was to realize that people have been researching this and keeping track of ancient genealogies, essentially in places all over the world. And when you can say, okay, this people group came out of this group, or this uh, people group came out of this descendant or grandson or great-grandson of Noah, it gets exciting. Uh, I remember when I was down in Peru, down in South America, and, you know, we, were, we had a translator down there, and I was talking about different peoples that went all over the place. Of course, they were really excited when I started talking about, you know, like where the Spanish came from, because the Spanish came in uh, to Peru, and there's been a lot of intermixing going on there, a lot of history there. But uh, when I was able to talk to them about the people groups that made it into the Iberian Peninsula where Spain was at, and and this is the majority of the people, the Castilian people, you know, they came out of Tubal. I'll tell you what, they just stopped. They're like, tell us that again. They were really excited about it because in their mind, they're like, okay, yeah, we're related to Noah. But when you can actually say, okay, we go through this line to Noah, it helps make the Bible come alive. It gets real for them. And they were really excited about it. And I've seen that with people all over the world, uh, just chatting with them when I find out their history. We're all fascinated a little, aren't we? Because when we've got an idea of where our family has come from, uh, then we are identified with that family and perhaps we're identified with the strengths and with the weaknesses because you know there might be all sorts of skeletons in the closet some people might not even find their their own uh, family genealogy but there is something in the belonging that we have when we understand where we fit in the family how does that work do you think if you can actually connect your own ancestry uh, with these biblical genealogies well, I, I think it's really powerful. You, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, you know, when you can connect with a particular people group that goes right back to uh, one of Noah's sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons, and so forth, that that really does help everything come alive. You, you do feel a connection there. Uh, you know, for example, I'm actually related to the royal family uh, of England. And, uh, you know, if you think of that family, you know, it's intermarried with several other royal families. And, uh, you know, you can go back to some of the Scottish royalty. You can go back, obviously, uh, a lot of the English royalty. And, and, you know, some of this interconnects. It's really exciting. Uh, you know, from my perspective, when I first found that, I mean, I, I was just blown away. Now, at the same time, you know, I've got some German. I got some Irish. I got, of course, obviously some English. Uh, you know, when I started looking at it, I got some Scottish, I got some French Norman, I got some Swedish, I got some Italian in there, I got some Native American, I got Portuguese. You know, I'm kind of a mutt. You know, that's how a lot of us Americans are over here. You know, we're uh, kind of intermixed. 
But it's neat when I can see those different lines and where they came from. I may not be able to track all those lines, but I know that I came out of this people group. And uh, according to the historical records or in some cases, direct biblical records, um, you know, we can trace it to a particular son or grandson. It, it really is neat. So, yeah, there is a connection in there, good or bad. There is a really neat connection in it. Not all of us might be able to claim that we're connected to the British royal family, and uh, that's quite a claim to fame. But when you eventually take your genealogy and your family tree connections back to a significant family where there is that significant genealogical history, that is actually where you can start to trace the roots right back to biblical times. Would that be the key if you can actually yeah. get, uh, get onto that pathway? Yeah, I think that's a, really one of the routes. When you can tie into a lot of the royal families, so many of them have lines that go right back to one of Noah's sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons. And that's the case with, uh, you know, the the, the uh, Queen of England, uh, uh, you know, or now the King of England. We have that connection that goes back, uh, right back, uh, you know, to Noah. And, you know, and, and when you think historically, there's a lot of these different cultures that kept track of the king's list and, and the ones that were close or nearby, they kept track of these sorts of things as well because, you know, they're, they're vying for a crown, you know, and especially in different regions. And as people different marry across, you know, you got uh, potential bloodlines that uh, lead to other uh, royals uh, throughout Europe and different other places. But you know, sometimes the commoners didn't have as many records. A lot of those records were kept in churches, and, you know, they're deciphering a lot of those. And so, you know, in some of my cases, you know, I can go back to the 1300s, the 1500s, but sometimes they run into a dead end in some of those. But, yeah, when I got the one that tied into the royal genealogies, I'm like, okay, that's really neat. That was pretty exciting for me. Well, so many of us uh, might have had some sort of family genealogical uh, 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 compiling and uh, yes you get to a point where things exhaust and nobody knows where to go further so that's that's going to be a challenge for each of us we're going to come back and talk more about genealogies but i also want to talk to you about another dimension here which has such uh, amazing impact on our understanding of what's happened around the world and that is of course the biblical account of the tower of babel now give us some insight here because uh, you've written a book on this uh, because we're talking not only about languages, uh, we're talking about then developing skin colors and differences and the dispersal of people groups from around to around the world. Uh, any thoughts here on the value of understanding the Tower of Babel? Right. There's so much, not just historically, but also archaeologically. Uh, just so people can track with us, you know, big picture, God creates everything in six days. It was a perfect creation. We expected nothing less from a perfect God because a man's sin, death, and suffering came into the world. That's why we need a Savior to save us from sin and death. But then, you know, we have this flood about 1,600 years or so after uh, God created everything. And that, of course, rearranged continents, shifted things around. Now, what's significant is after the flood, only eight people survived the flood, Noah and his family. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But what we saw was the descendants of Noah came together and they said, let's build a city. Let's, let's build a tower. Let's not be scattered. They tried to defy God's command on that. And God wasn't going to let him get away with it. And so he came down and he, in a, in a very gentle way, he actually confused their languages so that that scattered them to go to different parts of the world. Now, that scattering split apart the gene pool. And as people go to different parts of the world, the gene pool is now split apart. People who ended up in Scandinavia took genes for lighter skin. People who ended up 
in Africa took genes for darker skin. People went to the Orient, took genes for more of an almond-shaped eye. But I want people to understand we're all related. We all go back to Noah. We all go back to Adam, which means there's only one race, and that is the human race. And, uh, you know, back in old dictionaries, it used to say Adam's race. We're all part of that human race, no matter what we look like, which means we're all sinners. We're all in need of Jesus Christ, uh, regardless of how we look. You know, I I look at different people around the world and, you know, I say, wow, how do they have such a good full head of hair? Here I am struggling, (laughs) losing my hair. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we're all related. So somewhere out there, somebody's got the genes for the hair. I've lost those. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just a taste of the peoples. Now, if we shift over to the archaeology, which is just another fascinating subject, we know where Babel was. And uh, archaeologically, they've been digging that out ever since about uh, 1899. Uh, and uh, it was uh, a German archaeologist that actually started to lead that research. Now, for the last hundred years or so, a lot of the Germans have been the ones who have been digging things up and documenting all that. So a lot of us English speakers are kind of been left out in the cold. Well, recently, uh, uh, Professor George, uh, he's uh, he was a professor there in uh, uh, London, England, as I recall, and he translated a lot of the information, a lot of what these archaeologists have been doing. And uh, I was pretty excited uh, when I read that particular article because, you know, they were talking about three different bases where uh, the tower actually stood and you know there you know if you you know search for this you know even on google earth you can go down and see the archaeological remains you can see the footprint where the tower was and of course it's been rebuilt torn down and all sorts of things over the years and we have a lot of records of that but it was neat to see those three different bases which gives us a pretty good idea of how big the tower was pretty good sized structure Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question about genealogies, about biblical history, about the book of Genesis and the way the history begins to unfold. The dispersal of nations around the world after the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages. Well, you're welcome to call us on 1-800-316-316. Bodie Hodge is our guest, speaker, writer and researcher for Answers in Genesis. Before we take any calls, Bodie, let me ask you about the, you know, the evolutionary model, which is a model that takes in millions of years. Uh, versus the genealogy model from the Bible, which uh, obviously is a shorter time. I wonder if you've got an opinion about how the facts fit the genealogy model of the Bible, uh, and perhaps they don't fit the evolutionary model. Any thoughts from you? Yeah, boy, that's a big question, and uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, you know, here, here's one of the things that I've uh, particularly noticed over the years. When we start with the Bible, we get six-day creation, you get the genealogies, you just don't get millions and billions of years out of it. If you reject the Bible, all of a sudden God is no longer seen as the absolute authority, and what that means is man's ideas have been elevated to supersede God. That is a form of humanism. And that's what's happening in our culture. When you see millions and billions of years, you see evolutionary ideas uh, supersede God and his word. The religion of humanism is essentially being preached, and it's the secular forms of humanism uh, that we're seeing dominate in our culture. So really what it is, it's actually a battle over two different worldviews, two different religions, and it's an authority issue. 
you know, when you, when you think about God and his word, there is no greater authority than God. So when someone rejects God and his word, by what authority can they actually object to God? What they're doing, they're, they're actually appealing. This is a, a fallacy. They're appealing to fallible, imperfect human beings to try to supersede God. That is a, a, a faulty appeal to authority fallacy. That's what's happening. So there's a battle over that. Now, here's the thing, too. Uh, you know, when you start with the Bible, God created everything in six days, rested on the seventh. This is not a problem for an all-powerful God. It is a secular religion that a lot of people have bought into or been duped into believing uh, that has caused them to buy into these ideas of millions and billions of years. This is geological evolution or biological evolution that man evolved from ape-like creatures. And if you go back far enough, it's a single-celled organism. Now, when you actually look at Earth history, there's a battle, and this battle is raging over the rock layers. The rock layers are the source of that debate. Uh, you know, in the secular world, they assume that those rock layers were laid down slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years. As a Christian, I'm starting with the Word of God, and I see a global flood where a massive worldwide flood occurred over the course of about a year, and that's what laid down the vast majority of those rock layers. Of course, we've had rock layers since that time, but most are from the flood. So we're looking at the same evidence. It's not a battle over creationist evidence versus evolutionary evidence. It's a battle over the same evidence. The difference is the interpretation. And I'm going to start with the Word of God when I look at any piece of evidence, including those rock layers. So that's just a taste of that debate, taste of that argument that's going on out there. In fact, a lot of uh, people who are listening right now, um, they might be excited to know that we're going to have a conference down in the Brisbane area. Uh, this is going to be June 30th through July 1st. Ken Ham is going to be there. And Dr. Georgia Purdom, she is a geneticist uh, here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis. And we're also going to have Martin Isles. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, this is a, a divided nation, and it's looking at the culture and chaos. You know, what can the church do? So Ken Ham, Dr. Georgia Purdom, Martin Isles in the Brisbane area. This will be June 30th and July 1st. And uh, they're going to be dealing with a lot of these subjects. I want to encourage people to come out for that. We're going to have a little bit more information on our website uh, this coming week uh, just to let everybody know more about that. We'll mention those dates again before the end of our conversation. Let's take a call or two before news. Cindy is in Benalla in New South Wales. Hello, Cindy. Welcome along. Hi. I was watching a program recently, and uh, they reckon in 2013 they excavated a woolly mammoth and it had uh, fur on its trunk. And because it was frozen in Antarctica, it never thawed to decay, so it's still got red meat on it, and they want to make 100 clones out of it. Do you think that's going to happen? Okay, good thoughts there, Cindy. So <laughs> woolly mammoths preserved in the, uh, in the I guess it's the permafrost. Uh, they become permafrost, uncovered. Yeah. Uh, the possibility of cloning those woolly mammoths. What are your thoughts for Cindy? You know, that's uh, interesting. You know, these are actually creatures that came off of the ark. Uh, they're part of the elephant kind, and as animals were redistributing over the earth, uh, this is one of the variations of that particular elephant kind. Yeah, we've got quite a few of those that have been buried in the permafrost, probably dust storms after the flood, um, you know, particularly after the Ice Age, you know, as these things have started to get pretty populated out there. You know, that's an interesting question, though, about cloning those. You know, under the Dominion Mandate, 
uh, you know, uh, we do have the right to do uh, different uh, uh, sets of research on animals and that sort of thing. So it'd be kind of interesting to see. Now, these are part of the elephant kind. So if you think about it, when you see other elephants, they're all part of that same kind. Now, I, you know, it's not the same species. I want you to understand that, you know, sometimes we throw this word species out here. It's more of a modern uh, uh, term that we use. But uh, a kind, a, a good rule of thumb for a kind is if things could interbreed with each other, they're part of the same kind. So you have Asian elephants, African elephants, they could ultimately interbreed with each other. Most likely mastodons, mammoth, those sorts of things would have been part of that kind. Now, uh, Mike Ord has actually written a, a book on this subject called Frozen in Time and really looks at woolly mammoths from a biblical viewpoint, uh, dealing with a lot of that d d different evidence. And you can find uh, you know, uh, access to that book or at least, uh, you know, some of the chapters on our website, AnswersInGenesis.org. So hopefully you can find that in a neat subject, though. Uh, there's places you can find answers. Cindy in Benalla, thank you so much for your call. I'm just going to take one more before news. Steve is in Riverview in Ipswich, Queensland. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Uh, hi, Neil. How you going? Good. Need to be quick, Steve. What's your question or your comment? Yep. Um, I've heard a Bible teacher go, go saying that some of the genealogies, there's gaps between saying he was the son of and he become, he's actually like the great-grandson or something like that. Can you comment on that, please? Bodie, gaps in genealogies. Yeah, you know, we deal with that actually in our Answers book, Volume 1. If you hop on the website, AnswersInGenesis.org, type in gaps in the genealogies, uh, we do take a look at that. You know, I've heard that uh, kind of claim as well. But when you actually look at the ones and say Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11, it's giving you all the chronological data from father to son. So in those particular instances, we're not seeing any instance where it is a grandson. In fact, uh, you got to be very careful when you tally those up. Otherwise, you start having people go beyond the flood without being on the ark. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, does that also, um, there's also the, the gap theory, you know, uh, in Job where it says about that the earth was there and then God created and there was a big gap before he actually created man. You know, there's a gap theory going around about, you know. We might have to wait until after news to be able to tackle the gap theory. Undoubtedly, there's a longer answer than we've got because we're about to break for news. Our special guest today is an avid genealogy fan who has traced his ancestry back to Adam and Eve. He's also an authority on the dispersion of people groups around the world after the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. Well, Bodie Hodge is a speaker, a writer and researcher for Answers in Genesis. His expertise is as a mechanical engineer, has a master's degree. He's authored numerous articles and book chapters from Answers in Genesis and has served as general editor on the World Religions and Cults and Glasshouse Books. Bodie also regularly appears as a host on Answers News and frequently speaks at the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter on topics such as dinosaurs and dragons and the dispersion at Babel and the biblical response to racism. So from Answers in Genesis, a special welcome along to Bodie Hodge. Bodie, welcome along to 2020. Hey, it's great to be on. Bodie, just a little about your connections here for a few moments before we get into the conversation. Uh, you're connected there with Answers in Genesis, and uh, I mentioned your roles there in presenting some of those programs, but how long is it now you've had this connection? 
Oh, boy. I've been uh, here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis for about 20 years, and uh, it's been exciting. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I used to work in industry. I used to teach at a university. I used to teach at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. So I really enjoyed all that, but uh, it's been wonderful going into ministry. I love uh, uh, getting into God's Word and being able to train people and uh, just dive into those extra subjects like the Tower of Bible or Dinosaurs and Dragons. It really is a neat uh, and fun subject. And your own story, very briefly, on becoming a creationist, because, uh, you know, oftentimes people say people who are earning higher degrees or working in science industries, sometimes they've got difficulties with a creationist position. But how's your development along those lines gone? Well, you know, I grew up in church and, uh, you know, I got saved when I was nine years old, but I really didn't grow extensively in my faith. Uh, you know, I heard gospel sermons all the time, and I loved it. Uh, but, you know, I really struggled, especially by the time I got to college. You know, I remember someone asked me a question. He said, hey, who came first? Was it David or Abraham? And I remember my response was, boy, I don't know. I could tell you all about David. I could tell you all about Abraham. But I didn't put it together apologetically. I didn't put it together historically. And that was just kind of a taste of where I was when I was in college. What I really needed was answers. And I ended up getting some answers. Uh, it was a couple of years after that. But boy, when I started to get some answers, I got excited about my faith. I said, you know what? I want more answers. <laughs> and I really started diving into this. Uh, you know, So I really solidified uh, my, uh, my belief in six-day creation, a global flood, God creating everything. Uh, I, I really solidified that belief system, you know, there toward the end of my college years. And I think, uh, you know, the Lord just opened doors for me to really uh, grow in that. Have you discovered over the years, and you say you've got this 20-year history with Answers in Genesis, and you've spoken to an awful lot of groups in that time, that people have difficulty appreciating the genealogies that we can read in the Scriptures uh, that take us right back to Adam and Eve. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on how people feel and what people think and the sorts of feedback you might be getting along those lines? <laughs> well, if you're anything like I am or, or, or a lot of the, the people out there uh, uh, you know, uh, tuning in, uh, you're probably one of those people who go, oh boy, let's read the Bible. And you get to that section and you see all those genealogies and those names, you go, oh Lord, please don't let that be me <laughs> that has to read those out loud in front of everyone. Uh, you know, I used to be kind of like that too. Um, it, but you know what? Those genealogies are actually amazing. You know, just take, for example, the ones in Genesis chapter 5. Those are all of our direct ancestors right there, from Adam to Noah. And then you go after the Tower of Babel, you get into uh, Genesis uh, chapter 10. Uh, Genesis chapter 11 picks back up with some more. But you look at those, our direct ancestors are up there, and those are were related to all those people. And what really blew my mind was to realize that people have been researching this and keeping track of ancient genealogies, essentially in places all over the world. And when you can say, okay, this people group came out of this group, or this uh, people group came out of this descendant or grandson or great-grandson of Noah, it gets exciting. Uh, I remember when I was down in Peru, down in South America, and, you know, we, were, we had a translator down there, and I was talking about different peoples that went all over the place. Of course, they were really excited when I started talking about, you know, like where the Spanish came from, because the Spanish came in uh, to Peru, and there's been a lot of intermixing going on there, a lot of history there. 
But uh, when I was able to talk to them about the people groups that made it into the Iberian Peninsula where Spain was at, and and this is the majority of the people, the Castilian people, you know, they came out of Tubal. I'll tell you what, they just stopped. They're like, tell us that again. They were really excited about it because in their mind, they're like, okay, yeah, we're related to Noah. But when you can actually say, okay, we go through this line to Noah, it helps make the Bible come alive. It gets real for them. And they were really excited about it. And I've seen that with people all over the world, uh, just chatting with them when I find out their history. We're all fascinated a little, aren't we? Because when we've got an idea of where our family has come from, uh, then we are identified with that family and perhaps we're identified with the strengths and with the weaknesses because you know there might be all sorts of skeletons in the closet some people might not even find their their own uh, family genealogy but there is something in the belonging that we have when we understand where we fit in the family how does that work do you think if you can actually connect your own ancestry uh, with these biblical genealogies well, I, I think it's really powerful. You, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, you know, when you can connect with a particular people group that goes right back to uh, one of Noah's sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons, and so forth, that that really does help everything come alive. You, you do feel a connection there. Uh, you know, for example, I'm actually related to the royal family uh, of England. And, uh, you know, if you think of that family, you know, it's intermarried with several other royal families. And, uh, you know, you can go back to some of the Scottish royalty. You can go back, obviously, uh, a lot of the English royalty. And, and, you know, some of this interconnects. It's really exciting. Uh, you know, from my perspective, when I first found that, I mean, I, I was just blown away. Now, at the same time, you know, I've got some German. I got some Irish. I got, of course, obviously some English. Uh, you know, when I started looking at it, I got some Scottish, I got some French Norman, I got some Swedish, I got some Italian in there, I got some Native American, I got Portuguese. You know, I'm kind of a mutt. You know, that, that's how a lot of us Americans are <laughs> over here. You know, we're uh, kind of intermixed. But it's neat when I can see those different lines and where they came from. I may not be able to track all those lines, but I know that I came out of this people group. And uh, according to the historical records, or in some cases, direct biblical records, um, you know, we can trace it to a particular son or grandson. It it really is neat. So, yeah, there is a connection in there, good or bad. There is a really neat connection in it. Uh, not all of us might be able to claim that we're connected to the British royal family, and uh, that's quite a claim to fame. But when you eventually take your genealogy and your family tree connections back to a significant family where there is that significant genealogical history, that is actually where you can start to trace the roots right back to biblical times. Would that be the key if you can actually yeah. get get onto that pathway? Yeah, I think that's a, really one of the routes. When you can tie into a lot of the royal families, so many of them have lines that go right back to one of Noah's sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons. And that's the case with uh, you know, the the, the uh, Queen of England, uh, uh, you know, or now the King of England, we have that connection that goes back, uh, right back, uh, you know, to Noah. And, you know, and, and when you think historically, there's a lot of these different cultures that kept track of the King's List and, and the ones that were close or nearby, they kept track of these sorts of things as well, because, you know, they're, they're vying for a crown, you know, and especially in different regions. And as people different marry across, you know, you got... Uh, potential bloodlines that uh, lead to other uh, royals uh, throughout Europe and different other places. But 
you know, sometimes the commoners didn't have as many records. A lot of those records were kept in churches, and, you know, they're deciphering a lot of those. And so, you know, in some of my cases, you know, I can go back to the 1300s, the 1500s, but sometimes they run into a dead end in some of those. But, yeah, when I got the one that tied into the royal genealogies, I'm like, okay, that's really neat. That was pretty exciting for me. Well, so many of us uh, might have had some sort of family genealogical uh, 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 compiling and uh, yes you get to a point where things exhaust and nobody knows where to go further so that's that's going to be a challenge for each of us we're going to come back and talk more about genealogies but i also want to talk to you about another dimension here which has such uh, amazing impact on our understanding of what's happened around the world and that is of course the biblical account of the tower of babel now give us some insight here because uh, you've written a book on this Uh, Because we're talking not only about languages, uh, we're talking about then developing skin colors and differences and the dispersal of people groups from to around the world. Uh, Any thoughts here on the value of understanding the Tower of Babel? Right. There's so much, not just historically, but also archaeologically. Uh, Just so people can track with us, you know, big picture, God creates everything in six days. It was a perfect creation. We expected nothing less from a perfect God because of man's sin, death and suffering came into the world. That's why we need a savior to save us from sin and death. But then, you know, we have this flood about 1600 years or so after uh, God created everything. And that, of course, rearranged continents, shifted things around. Now, what's significant is after the flood, only eight people survived the flood, Noah and his family. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But what we saw was the descendants of Noah came together and they said, let's build a city. Let's let's build a tower. Let's not be scattered. They tried to defy God's command on that. And God wasn't going to let him get away with it. And so he came down and he, in a, in a very gentle way, he actually confused their languages so that that scattered them to go to different parts of the world. Now, that scattering split apart the gene pool. And as people go to different parts of the world, the gene pool is now split apart. People who ended up in Scandinavia took genes for lighter skin. People who ended up uh, in Africa took genes for darker skin. People who went to the Orient took genes for more of an almond-shaped eye. But I want people to understand we're all related. We all go back to Noah. We all go back to Adam, which means there's only one race, and that is the human race. And, uh, you know, back in old dictionaries, it used to say Adam's race. We're all part of that human race, no matter what we look like, which means we're all sinners, we're all in need of Jesus Christ, uh, regardless of how we look. You know, I I look at different people around the world and, you know, I say, wow, how do they have such a good full head of hair? Here I am struggling, (laughs) losing my hair, Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we're all related. So somewhere out there, somebody's got the genes for the hair. I've lost those. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's just a taste of the peoples. Now, if we shift over to the archaeology, which is just another fascinating subject, we know where Babel was. And uh, archaeologically, they've been digging that out ever since about uh, 1899. uh, And uh, it was uh, a German archaeologist that actually started to lead that research. Now, for the last hundred years or so, a lot of the Germans have been the ones who have been digging things up and documenting all that. So a lot of us English speakers are kind of been left out in the cold. Well, recently, uh, uh, Professor George, uh, he's uh, he was professor there in uh, uh, London, England, as I recall. And he translated a lot of the information, a lot of what these archaeologists have been doing. And uh, I was pretty excited uh, when I read that particular article because, you know, they were talking about three different bases 
where uh, the tower actually stood. And, you know, there, you know, if you, you know, search for this, you know, even on Google Earth, you can go down and see the archaeological remains. You can see the footprint where the tower was. And, of course, it's been rebuilt, torn down and all sorts of things over the years. And we have a lot of records of that. But it was neat to see those three different bases, which gives us a pretty good idea of how big the tower was. Pretty good size structure. Well, we're talking genealogies. We're talking the Tower of Babel. We're also talking about the dispersal of people around the earth. Uh, You might have a question. You might have a comment. You might have a critique for the conversation. Uh, We're going to talk some more with our very special guest, Bodie Hodge, who's a speaker, writer and researcher for Answers in Genesis. We're back with more in just a few moments. And our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. When guilt disappointment or shame comes where do you turn to find refuge handpicked from the popular strategies for the threshold series by australian author Anne hamilton comes her new recommended reading pack designed to help you journey across the threshold and into your divine purpose in christ i recommend hidden in the cleft true and false refuge first next read dealing with belial followed by god's pottery the sea of names and the pierced inheritance The last chapter of God's Pottery has a series of guidelines for tackling the threefold guard that forms the main obstacle to passing over the threshold into our calling. Read the books in the suggested order by Anne herself and explore new depths of biblical truth for your life with Anne Hamilton's Recommendation Pack. Available now when you shop online with Vision. See vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Easter is a time of increased persecution for Christians. In the last six years, Easter services in Egypt, Sri Lanka and Indonesia were bombed. Christians attacked for daring to proclaim the name of Jesus. This Easter, will you remember our suffering brothers and sisters? Stand one with them and pray for the body of Christ with open doors. Download your free Easter prayer calendar at opendoors.org.au slash pray. Station sponsor. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question about genealogies, about biblical history, about the book of Genesis and the way the history begins to unfold, the dispersal of nations around the world after the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages. Well, you're welcome to call us on 1-800-316-316. Bodie Hodge is our guest, speaker, writer and researcher for Answers in Genesis. Before we take any calls, Bodie, let me ask you about the you know the evolutionary model, which is a model that takes in millions of years, uh, versus the genealogy model from the Bible, which uh, obviously is a shorter time. I wonder if you've got an opinion about how the facts fit the genealogy model of the Bible, uh, and perhaps they don't fit the evolutionary model. Any thoughts from you? Yeah, boy, that's a big question, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, you know, here, here's one of the things that I've uh, particularly noticed over the years. When we start with the Bible, we get six-day creation, you get the genealogies, you just don't get millions and billions of years out of it. If you reject the Bible, all of a sudden, God is no longer seen as the absolute authority, and what that means is man's ideas have been elevated to supersede God. That is a form of humanism. 
And that's what's happening in our culture. When you see millions and billions of years, you see evolutionary ideas uh, supersede God and his word. The religion of humanism is essentially being preached, and it's the secular forms of humanism uh, that we're seeing dominate in our culture. So really what it is, it's actually a battle over two different worldviews, two different religions, and it's an authority issue. You know, when you, when you think about God and his word, there is no greater authority than God. So when someone rejects God and his word, by what authority can they actually object to God? What they're doing, they're, they're actually appealing. This is a, a fallacy. They're appealing to fallible, imperfect human beings to try to supersede God. That is a, a, a faulty appeal to authority fallacy. That's what's happening. So there's a battle over that. Now, here's the thing, too. Uh, you know, when you start with the Bible, God created everything in six days, rested on the seventh. This is not a problem for an all-powerful God. It is a secular religion that a lot of people have bought into or been duped into believing uh, that has caused them to buy into these ideas of millions and billions of years. This is geological evolution or biological evolution that man evolved from ape-like creatures. And if you go back far enough, it's a single-celled organism. Now, when you actually look at Earth history, there's a battle, and this battle is raging over the rock layers. The rock layers are the source of that debate. Uh, you know, in the secular world, they assume that those rock layers were laid down slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years. As a Christian, I'm starting with the Word of God, and I see a global flood where a massive worldwide flood occurred over the course of about a year, and that's what laid down the vast majority of those rock layers. Of course, we've had rock layers since that time, but most are from the flood. So we're looking at the same evidence. It's not a battle over creationist evidence versus evolutionary evidence. It's a battle over the same evidence. The difference is the interpretation. And I'm going to start with the Word of God when I look at any piece of evidence, including those rock layers. So that's just a taste of that debate, taste of that argument that's going on out there. In fact, a lot of uh, people who are listening right now, um, they might be excited to know that we're going to have a conference down in the Brisbane area. Uh, this is going to be June 30th through July 1st. Ken Ham is going to be there, and Dr. Georgia Purdom. She is a geneticist uh, here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, and we're also going to have Martin Isles. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, this is a, a divided nation, and it's looking at the culture and chaos. You know, what can the church do? So Ken Ham, Dr. Georgia Purdom, Martin Isles in the Brisbane area. This will be June 30th and July 1st. And uh, they're going to be dealing with a lot of these subjects. I want to encourage people to come out for that. We're going to have a little bit more information on our website uh, this coming week, uh, just to let everybody know more about that. We'll mention those dates again before the end of our conversation. Let's take a call or two before news. Cindy is in Benalla in New South Wales. Hello, Cindy. Welcome along. Hi. I was watching a program recently, and uh, they reckon in 2013 they excavated a woolly mammoth and it had uh, fur on its trunk. And because it was frozen in Antarctica, it never thawed to decay, so it's still got red meat on it, and they want to make 100 clones out of it. Do you think that's going to happen? Okay, good thoughts there, Cindy. So woolly mammoths preserved in the, uh, in the I guess it's the permafrost. Uh, they become permafrost, uncovered. Yeah. Uh, the possibility of cloning those woolly mammoths. What are your thoughts for Cindy? You know, that's uh, interesting. You know, these are actually creatures that came off of the ark. Uh, they're part of the elephant kind, and as animals were redistributing over the earth, uh, this is one of the variations of that particular elephant kind. Yeah, we've got quite a few of those that have been buried in the permafrost, probably dust storms after the flood. 
um, you know, particularly after the Ice Age, you know, as these things have started to get pretty populated out there. You know, that's an interesting question though about cloning those. You know, under the Dominion Mandate, uh, you know, uh, we do have the right to do uh, different uh, uh, sets of research on animals and that sort of thing. So it'd be kind of interesting to see. Now, these are part of the elephant kind. So if you think about it, when you see other elephants, they're all part of that same kind. Now, I, you know, it's not the same species. I want you to understand that, you know, sometimes we throw this word species out here. It's more of a modern uh, uh, term that we use. But uh, a kind, a, a good rule of thumb for a kind is if things could interbreed with each other, they're part of the same kind. So you have Asian elephants, African elephants, they could ultimately interbreed with each other, most likely mastodons, mammoth, those sorts of things would have been part of that kind. Now, uh, Mike Ord has actually written a, a book on this subject called Frozen in Time and really looks at woolly mammoths from a biblical viewpoint, uh, dealing with a lot of that uh, uh, different evidence. And you can find uh, you know, uh, access to that book or at least, uh, you know, some of the chapters on our website, AnswersInGenesis.org. So hopefully you can find that in a neat subject, though. Uh, there's places you can find answers. Cindy in Benalla, thank you so much for your call. I'm just going to take one more before news. Steve is in Riverview in Ipswich, Queensland. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Uh, hi, Neil. How you going? Good. Need to be quick, Steve. What's your question or your comment? Yeah. Um, I've heard a Bible teacher go go saying that some of the genealogies, there's gaps between saying he was the son of and he become he's actually like the great grandson or something like that. Can you comment on that, please? Bodhi, gaps in genealogies. Yeah, you know, we deal with that actually in our Answers book, Volume 1. If you hop on the website, answersingenesis.org, type in gaps in the genealogies, uh, we do take a look at that. You know, I've heard that uh, kind of claim as well. But when you actually look at the ones and say Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11, it's giving you all the chronological data from father to son. So in those particular instances, we're not seeing any instance where it is a grandson. In fact, uh, you got to be very careful when you tally those up. Otherwise, you start having people go beyond the flood without being on the ark. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, does that also, um, there's also the, the gap theory, you know, uh, in Job where it says about that the earth was there and then God created and there was a big gap before he actually created man. You know, there's a gap theory going around about, you know. We might have to wait until after news to be able to tackle the gap theory. Undoubtedly, there's a longer answer than we've got because we're about to break for news. Steve, we'll try and tackle that after Vision National News. Steve, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Bodie Hodge, speaker, writer and researcher with Answers in Genesis. Answersingenesis.org and you'll find those opportunities to ask questions and access a database of fabulous information about all the sorts of things you might be talking about. Answersingenesis.org. We're back with more after Vision National News. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.